0: Our society is obsessed with performance. We measure our self-worth by how many widgets we sell or how many dollars we earn. Our production measures our performance. Our works determine our worth. Many years ago, I worked as a mechanic in a factory. Our performance was rated by the percentage of time that our machines were running. Each mechanic had two operators who ran his eight machines. Whenever the machine malfunctioned, the operator would turn it off and turn on a red light, which was connected to a timer. The mechanic was evaluated for pay raises by the percentage of time that the machines were down during the shift. A red light and a timer determined my worth as a mechanic. I taught at the college level for many years. There are always some students who cannot accept anything less than an A. I knew students who took just one course a semester so that they could get all A's and graduate with a 4.0 grade point average. Their value was determined by their grade. Kathy Ormsby was a pre-med student and track star at North Carolina State University when she competed in the 1986 NCAA Track and Field Championship in Indianapolis. She was also the national record holder in the women's 10,000-meter race. That day, however, Kathy fell behind and couldn't catch up to the leader. She shocked the entire stadium when she kept running right off the track, through the stadium runway, down some side streets to a nearby bridge. Then she dove off the bridge, and the 40-foot fall permanently paralyzed her from the waist down. Why? Kathy, who passed away in 2019, never could figure out why she did it even after years of therapy? Part of the answer was a quote-unquote misguided sense of responsibility that led to panic attacks. She equated her worth with her works. If she couldn't do her best, then she felt like she let people down. Many people apply that same thought process to their spiritual lives. Maybe you are one of those people. We try to earn God's favor by our performance. We feel like we let God down when we fail. We determine our spiritual worth by our spiritual performance. It is the gospel of human works. We preach that you must strive to be good enough for God, and if you can be good enough for long enough and accomplish enough, then he might let you into heaven. But the gospel of human works does not bring freedom, it brings bondage. The gospel of human works does not lead to salvation, it leads to condemnation. We end up like a spiritual Kathy Ormsby, because sooner or later we all fail and we feel like we are worthless to God because our works determine our worth. My friends, the gospel of human works condemns human hearts. In every other letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, he starts with a positive expression of thanksgiving. Galatians is the only letter in which he immediately begins with rebuke. That is how serious this business of performance salvation is in God's eyes. Notice, first of all, that the gospel of human works is a counterfeit gospel in verses 6 and 7. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you, by the grace of Christ, for a different gospel, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. A counterfeit is something that looks like the real thing, but is not. That is exactly what the gospel of human works is. The gospel of human works looks and sounds like the real thing. It sounds very spiritual to say that you must live right and do right to be right. It seems very spiritual to say that righteousness comes from the performance of my moral and religious obligations. It is, in fact, a lie. Moralism, the attempt to earn God's favor by our good works, will fail because we never can be good enough for God. The gospel of human works is the gospel of subtraction and addition. You subtract God's grace and you add human sweat. It makes sense because in every other achievement of life, you get what you earn. So why not apply that same logic to salvation, to our spiritual lives? The gospel of human works subtracts grace in verse 6. Paul is shocked. He is flabbergasted. He is agitated because the Galatians have deserted the one who called them. They have subtracted Christ from Christianity. The word deserted was used of a military revolt. It means to change one's opinion about something or someone. They were revolting against God. The revolt is self-generated. The verb in, is in a particular Greek construction that indicates that the desertion was not imposed on them by someone else, but they were putting the burden of achievement on themselves. It was self-imposed. The amazing fact about the gospel of human works is that I do it to myself. I look at Scripture And I say that I must be perfect to have a relationship with God. It is a self-imposed, not God-imposed burden. Furthermore, it's not that they are deserting an idea or a doctrine. They are deserting God. For he is the one who called them by the grace of Christ. When you embrace works, you reject God. There is no middle ground, my friends. God has called us by the grace of Christ. Grace is God's undeserved favor. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, and we can't deserve it. If we worked for God's favor, we would deserve it because we earned it. But God's love is not for sale. You cannot earn God's love by your performance in life. We enjoy his love because of his grace. Grace is a free gift, and all we can do is accept his grace. The two concepts are mutually exclusive. The gospel of human works subtracts grace, but doesn't stop there. In order to fill the void... The gospel of human works adds sweat in verse 7. There are two different words for another used in these two verses. Paul is saying that you have deserted grace for another of a different kind of gospel, which is not another of the same kind of gospel. So this new gospel was a counterfeit gospel, which binds, not saves. Well, what was so different? The gospel of human works subtracts grace and adds sweat. The gospel of human works adds by saying faith plus works equals salvation. The gospel of human works is the gospel of addition. We are adding works to faith. Martin Luther talked about the difference between active and passive righteousness. Passive righteousness is given to us by God. It is righteousness which we do not earn. Active righteousness is what we do for God. Active righteousness can never save you. It will only make you miserable because you can never measure up to God's standards. The only way to be saved is to accept Passive righteousness as a gift from God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Active righteousness is the result of, not the cause of, passive righteousness. If you reverse the process, you deny the gospel. The gospel of human works adds works to the gospel and so denies the gospel. Paul goes on to say that those preaching this false gospel of addition do two things. They first disturb the church and they second distort the gospel. The word disturb means to be troubled. It literally means to shake back and forth. I find many people who think that they are Christians but who who pursue salvation by their good works I find them to be troubled people. They can never measure up, so they are always fearful that God will zap them after all their hard work to earn his approval. This is a distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which does terrible damage to people. People live in fear, trying to earn God's approval by their performance, There was a group of people in the first century whom we label the Judaizers. These Judaizers were impressive moral teachers who arrived among the churches of South Galatia with a message of human works. Their message was that people had to believe Christ, but also had to follow the rules of Judaism to be saved. They added these Moral rules to the grace of Christ to achieve salvation. Why is Paul so hard on them when all they did was add obedience to God's law to be saved? That doesn't sound so bad. After all, they were not denying the need to believe in Christ, they were just adding the burden of obeying the law too. They believed in Christ. They just added the law. Why is that so bad? It seems very moral. The answer is that the addition of anything to the gospel minimizes the sufficiency of Christ. When you add anything to the gospel, you subtract something from the adequacy of Christ's death. If you say to me, Dave, I believe in Jesus Christ for my salvation, but I also believe that I must not lie, cheat, or steal, and I must be baptized to be saved. Then I will say to you, hopefully in a loving way, my friend, you are a heretic. Obedience to God's law is the result of, not the condition for, salvation. We obey God because he saved us, not in order to be saved. That leads us to the next two verses, where Paul says, Just what I have said. The gospel of human works is a heretical gospel. The gospel of human works is a heretical gospel, Galatians 1, 8, and 9. But even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. I use the word heretic carefully. I know that we have often used that word rather loosely in religious circles. A heretic is anyone who distorts the essential message of Christianity. A heretic is anyone who perverts the way that a person must be saved. Addition of anything to God's grace to be saved is heresy. Paul gives us two cases to make his point. A hypothetical case in verse 8, Paul gets heated and states that even if an angel should come down from heaven and preach any other gospel than the gospel of grace, it is heresy. He is exaggerating to make his point here. In the next verse, he calms down and talks about a realistic case in verse 9. Some people are actually changing the message of salvation so let the curse of God rest upon them. The most respected religious leader who preaches a heretical gospel is a heretic. Martin Luther said, That which does not teach Christ is not apostolic, even if Peter and Paul be the teachers. On the other hand, that which does teach Christ is apostolic, even if Judas, Annas, Pilate, or Herod should propound it. I remember growing up in Pakistan where my parents were missionaries. They often faced opposition from the Islamic leaders in the country. One Islamic newspaper published the full text of a sermon preached by one of the missionaries in order to ridicule the Christian message in public. However, some people responded to the message and became Christians even though the medium was anti-Christian. The message, not the messenger, is what is vital to saving faith. If a person distorts the true gospel, let him be accursed, Paul writes, no matter how well respected the messenger is in this world. The word translated accursed is a powerful word. The Greek word is one which you may have heard. It is anathema. Anathema means that which is devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. Hence that which, or he who, is doomed to destruction, accursed. Doomed to destruction is serious business, my friends. God is not playing games with his message of salvation. Essentially, Paul is uttering the curse of hell upon them. He is saying, please understand that I'm not trying to offend anyone when I say this now. Paul is saying, let them go to hell. Let them be damned. Why would Paul take this so seriously? He takes the gospel seriously Because misleading people about the gospel is a life and death matter. It is worse than a matter of physical life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and death. Spiritual malpractice is far worse than medical malpractice. Bad directions from a good source will still kill you. If I tell you to get on the interstate highway going the wrong direction, you are likely to get killed. That is serious business, no matter how well-meaning I might be in my directions. But it is even more serious to tell you to get on the wrong road to eternity. The wrong spiritual road leads to hell, not heaven. So first, the gospel of human works is a counterfeit gospel in verses 6 and 7. Second, the gospel of human works is a heretical gospel in verses 8 and 9. But third, the gospel of human works is a popular gospel in verse 10. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant, a slave of Christ. Paul had apparently been accused of seeking to please men by those who opposed his ministry. Here he defends himself against the accusations by saying, Do men-pleasers pronounce curses on other people? Is that the way to be popular? Paul is not suggesting that he never seeks to please others. Actually, he did strive to please others. Sometimes you can read in 1 Corinthians 9:19-22, 1 Corinthians 10:33 and Romans 15:1 through 3 examples of that. He is not condoning a belligerent attitude or a crusader mentality to our witness for Christ. Paul is saying that the one place we cannot compromise is when the gospel is at stake. We must never accommodate ourselves to others if it will compromise the essential message of Christianity. We must draw our line there. The gospel is non-negotiable. The ironic reality is that the gospel of human works is a men-pleaser. It is popular, very popular. It may seem incredible, but the gospel of human works, which enslaves so many in bondage, is highly popular. It is popular because it tells us what we can do to be saved. And we like to feel that we can control our own destinies. We want to think that Our achievements, our success will lead to heaven. After all, we are better than those other people, so we should go to heaven. The gospel of human works is popular because, you see, it appeals to our pride. One writer put it this way, steer clear of a diluted gospel that flatters rather than flattens the pride of men. Souls that want to be flattered need to be flattened. Humans want to be in control. We want to know that we can earn our own way into heaven. We want to feel good about ourselves. That is pride, pure and simple. Pride keeps many a man or woman from heaven. Most perfectionists, that is people who cannot tolerate any failure, are very proud and self-centered people. I am perfectionistic in some areas of my life, and those are precisely the areas where I am most prone to pride. The gospel of human works appeals to that pride in all of us. Because it tells us what we must do to be saved. My pride wants to earn my way to heaven. Some people would rather be miserable in their pursuit of perfection than forfeit their pride in their self imposed standards of righteousness. My friends, it takes humility to accept grace. It takes humility to accept grace. I must acknowledge my inability to earn my salvation, and that is not a popular message. There's an interesting paradox of Christian liberty that we see in this verse. It's a foreshadowing of what Paul will develop later in the the book of Galatians. Paul contrasts the popular gospel of works with being a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Freedom from a performance mentality in the Christian life leads to slavery to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You say, Dave, I thought the gospel of grace freed me from slavery. I thought the gospel liberated me from bondage. How can I be free if I am a slave to Christ? Well, we are going to see this paradox repeated throughout the letter to the Galatians. The paradox of Christian liberty is that I am free to serve Christ and others. Liberty is not libertinism as we shall see in Galatians 5. I would rather be a slave to Jesus than a ruler of humanity. I would rather serve others in love than please others for their approval. It's a wonderfully liberating experience to know that I do not have to worry about pleasing others to be a Christian. I do not even have to please God to be saved. In fact, I can't please God anyway. I can't earn my salvation. It is because I have accepted God's grace that I am accepted by God. Now I am truly free to please him. Now I am truly free to serve others out of my love for them. The paradox of Christian liberty is that to trust in my spiritual performance is to be a slave to perfectionism. However, to be a slave to Christ is to be freed from perfectionism. Are you trying to be good enough for God, my friends? You will fail miserably. Are you in bondage to perfectionism? Do you determine your worth to God by your works for God? Is your spiritual life governed by a performance mentality? You need to understand this very important truth. The gospel of human works condemns human hearts. You cannot do anything to earn God's approval. All you can do is accept God's grace. It is grace that you do not deserve, and neither do I deserve. None of us deserve that grace. It is freely given by His love. The story is told about an English evangelist named Ebenezer Wooten many years ago. He held an evangelistic meeting in a tent on the village green of the town of Lidford Brook in England. The last service had been completed and the crowd was leaving. Ebenezer was taking down the tents when a young man approached him and asked him in a casual way, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? Hardly looking up from the work, the evangelist replied matter-of-factly, Too late, too late, my friend, it's too late. The young man was startled, and he cried out, Oh, don't say that, Mr. Wooten. Surely just because the meetings are over, it's not too late to be saved. Yes, my friend, Ebenezer replied, looking him straight in the eye. It is too late. You want to know what you must do to be saved. And I tell you that you are hundreds and hundreds of years too late. The work of salvation is done, completed, finished, It was finished on the cross. Jesus said so with the last breath he drew. What more do you want? My friends, there is nothing you can do to be saved today. There is nothing for you but to fall on your knees in humility and accept what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Will you accept his work for you on the cross and be rid of your bondage of guilt and self-righteousness today?